1689 Saturday. Let's go. So I just want to wrap up on a few thoughts on the federalism thing. Um, if you've been tracking with that, there were just a, a good few discussions um, over the last week or two, um, uh, just with regard to Brandon's um, session on this podcast. Uh, and then he wrote a couple of uh, blog posts, and uh, that generated a bit of discussion, just a prolonged engagement between him and myself. A few other people chirped in, but yeah, it was... Um, it was really good. I really appreciated everything. Um, loved the way that um, he's just able to, well, he wants to keep talking about it. Um, he out-talked me. I'll, ad- I'll admit that fair and square. I just had a lot of stuff to do and a lot of other things I was getting. You know, it's one of those things. You could keep going down that rabbit hole. Um, and I probably would. if, But, you know, kids and posturing and all that other stuff so we've got to take the slope um but yeah i really appreciated his willingness to just devote you know and keep going i I really did appreciate that um and also um his willingness to come back on at some point so we'll let the as i said in the uh last time i spoke to him let's just let the dust settle a few things have been said and we've been able to just um bounce off each other a little bit i i definitely have benefited from it just being able to i think it's probably the first opportunity i've had you know, to, to really kind of push back and just someone who holds it perhaps on the ground. Um, you know, I've talked to Sam and Jim and, and you know, some of the, 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 those guys putting out this material at that heavy theological level, but often, um, you know, th- there's not a lot of opportunity for just sitting down forever and ever and just talking this thing through and asking questions. So again, I really appreciated it. Um, so, uh, just a few comments i don't know if you haven't been following this at all you might want to just go back uh, a few sessions um and just if you don't even know what 1689 federalism is then you know we introduced that um one of the one of the comments you know that i think uh, probably had some point uh, or some validity is that um i, I might have been a little bit deceptive in um in uh, having Brandon on and not sort of heckling him on the show in that, you know, it gave the impression that I was kind of totally in agreement with everything. But uh, I was writing on the coattails of previous shows where I, I thought it was pretty apparent that I'm, I'm not too happy with the position um, in every way. Let's, uh, you know, I have said prior that I'm, I, you know, I'm largely in agreement with it, uh, just a few little sticklers here and there. But with that in mind, I didn't want to get in the way of Brandon, wanted him to just have a full go and get, get, give us all the information on the show. And then uh, knowing that we'd have every opportunity to tease it out, um, I know that that's what we um, have been doing. Uh, you know, it's still a work in progress. So we're talking it out. I do feel like I understand it a lot better now, which is great. You know, it kind of, you know, confirmed many points and just kind of pushed back on many points and, you know, made me think more deeply on some points. So anyways, I'll talk a little bit about that now. Um, and then, uh, try not to bore you too much, but go back and check those other ones, uh, out. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, if you do, you're well into it at this point, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So he, he wrote, um, on his blog, um, just, a, a really great little summary of our talk and kind of the things he took issue with. Um, and, uh, some of the things I, you know, and the other thing, maybe just while I'm saying about that, you know, on Monday I, I caught up with Chris and, uh, we sort of, uh, just had a casual discussion. It wasn't meant to be this, 
you know, watertight kind of rebuttal of everything that Brandon says. Uh, nothing really on the show is is ever going to be that. I'm just not putting enough thought into it to, to have it be that. Um, so, again, some comments about perhaps, you know, it wasn't the most ideal breakdown of the discussion. I agree. There was just a casual conversation. And so, sorry if that um, you misled anyone. It wasn't meant to be a exhaustive kind of... Uh, treatment of everything that was said between Brandon and myself. Um, and so, yeah, that's just not how I'm rolling on this show. Uh, it's going to ooze out. <laughs> it's basically it. So you'll get a little bit here, a little bit there. And uh, hey, when I finally decide to write a paper about this, that'll be nice and watertight. And then you can see it all in one beautiful PDF document that you can uh, critique me all day and all night on. Um, but hey, don't hold your breath on that one either. I'm busy. Um, all right. So anyways, looking at looking at his um, uh, blog, um, I appreciated the way he just kind of um, mentioned my view, I think fairly accurately. He says, um, I'm kind of a unique blend of the 20th century reformed Baptist view. Um uh, with a Kleinian spin. I mean, I think that's exactly how I would describe myself. I don't necessarily, you know, I mean, obviously from his perspective, the 20th century view is no, not where he wants everyone to be. I just, um, from my perspective, it's like, you know, let's just be real about this. It, it has been the majority view. So it's not like I have to kind of come up with a view, you know, that, that you know, what a, what an odd, strange thing I believe. I mean, I really just... I've cut my teeth on Reformed Baptist Covenant Theology, and you, you can read almost every single book on Reformed Baptist Covenant Theology prior to, like, uh, Pascal or Renihan, and, you know, and I realize uh, they're pointing to something older than that, but still, you know, functionally speaking, uh, most of the literature is really going to have exactly the view that I hold. So, you know, I think it's worth keeping in mind, and I tried to bring that up a few times as I was talking to Brandon in that you know, if you read King uh, Paul King Jewett's book or Fred Malone's book or Sam Waldron's exposition, I mean, you've got you can go anywhere, and you're pretty much going to get exactly what I hold to, except for um, um, you know this the slightly Kleinian kind of republication spin. Which, to be honest, I think a lot of people are actually starting to hold on to there as well. So it's not even that unique. Um, but yeah, it's it's true that those those two things are, I think, what properly summarizes my view at this point. Um, and so just, you know, I, what I just, what I'm trying to do here is just go, you know, I'm not trying to present some cryptic sort of ultra unique view. That's definitely not what's going on at all. I don't have the capacity for that sort of thing. Uh, rather it's just, um, it's just what has been presented in, in pretty much all the Reformed Baptist stuff, um, until a few years ago, literally like whenever it was two, three, four years ago, whenever Pascal's book came. That was the first I knew of anything changing. So, uh, yeah, go check any one of those uh, books prior to that out if you want a, a closer representation of, of that view. I've recommended um, Paul King Joe's book often. I love it. I think it's great. Uh, Fred Malone, you know, he, he has some uh, idiosyncrasies uh, in his work, but basically, I mean, very good. Sam Waldron. Uh, yeah, and, and as Brandon mentions here, the systematic exegetical distinction that I'm talking uh, about over and over again, he very helpfully reminded me I actually got from Sam Waldron. Well, that's the first time I heard about it anyway. And um, so there we go. That's kind of, you know, proves my point on its own. Um I was kind of scratching my head. Did I get that from Klein? I don't think so. But yeah, like Chris says, I mean, 
you know, to, to separate the covenants in their exegetical historical form from their theological, from the theological overarching construct as a systematic theology category uh, is quite normal in covenant theology and has been quite normal amongst uh, Reformed Baptists as well. So it's really not that uh, cryptic. Um, just to just to put that out there, if anyone does want to do some further reading or thinking about that, you don't have to be solely reliant on what I say here. You can go ahead and check any of those works out, um, and uh, I'd, I'd be happy to help you out if you want some more re- recommendations there. Just email me, uh, or just get hold of you know one of the comments on the blog or something, and I'll get back to you. Um, now, uh, just on that point, um, I uh, wanted to. Basically, I, you know, comment on one thing he says, which for me increasingly is becoming the big thing. Um, he says, uh, just after he says, uh, confused by exegetical systematic distinction is one of, one of his headings. He said, so the question is very simply, or he comments that I see no distinction between the covenant of grace and the new covenant. Now, that's not entirely true in light of what I've just said. Uh, there is a theological and an exegetical distinction there in that the new covenant is never going to be the covenant of grace exactly in my view, precisely because they're in different categories. Although what he's getting at there, and I agree, is that by the time you get to the new covenant, it's such a full expression of that theological category that there's functionally no different no difference um, to speak of uh, past the point of Pentecost. But, you know, there's always going to be an important reason for keeping that distinction there. And so, yeah, I don't want to collapse them entirely. So just keep that in mind. But, but you know, leaving that aside for a second, he says the question then is very simply uh, how the new covenant relates to the salvation of Old Testament saints. Now, I think that's wonderfully helpful and a- absolutely correct. And, um, and, you know, he even ended off, if you want to go back and listen to a few quotes, he ended off um, uh, mentioning on our um, episode, uh, he, yeah, you know, a few quotes from Michael Horton, I think, uh, I can't remember offhand, just a, a whole bunch of classic sort of Presbyterian theologians and um, referring to the New Covenant and um, th- that action of that retroactive activity of the New Covenant to the Old Testament saints to, um, you know, so that they might be saved at the end of the day. It's, it's because of the new covenant. Um, I think it's a great point. You know, it's, it's at that level, it's, it's obviously uh, we're, we're in 100% agreement. Um, as, as Brandon himself says, you know, even his desire to want to collapse the exegetical and theological constructs and, and call the new covenant the covenant of grace uh, is really just flowing out of this concept that really is true, that everyone embraces, that uh, it's only because of what happens in the New Covenant that anyone gets saved, Old Testament or New. So that's just the bottom line truth. Um, and, and, and that's fine, totally happy with that, um, no problem at all. Um, and, and so I just, you know, even though that doesn't really prove anything in terms of you know, where we're going in terms of our differences in that, obviously, Michael Horton said that, and the other guys who he quoted said that, I imagine having a similar sort of understanding to me in that, in that, 
that doesn't mean that there's not a covenant of grace that's theological and the and, and a new covenant that's exegetical. It just means that at that point of overlap, we could speak of either or the functional power of the covenant of grace is coming from the exegetical inauguration or at least um, ratification of the new covenant and uh, Christ's own work on the cross. I mean, that's where it's all stemming from. That's the the, the apex of, uh, of it all. Um, and so, amen. You know, that, that's good. Um, and uh, it, I wouldn't want to say that to kind of give the impression that I've totally agreed with Brandon on every point, but I'm trying to just, I suppose, just really work at, at showing where we actually just agree completely, 100% anyway, despite the way you want to word this. I think it's super important to, to just keep that in mind. We are truly splitting hairs at some level. Um I don't want to deny that this is an important conversation. I think it is. But, you know, let's remember it's intramural. It's, you know, it's all in that covenantal realm. It's just, yeah, we're, we're working at, at, at um, some small points here. Um, the, uh, the reality is that we're, the debate then is largely, and it came across in the, in the comments afterwards in the blog, is largely coming through in this whole, well, is it better to talk about administration of the covenant of grace in the Old Testament or the, um, the retroactivity of the new covenant in, uh, to the Old Testament saints, the promise revealed, is that better? Well, you know, it's going to be a choice of language is what we brought it down to, I think, Um and, you know, either one works, really. I mean, we mean exactly the same thing. I think that was something that was very helpful to me, seeing that. I mean, you know, even in the comment section, you go check it out. Uh, Brandon essentially says, yeah, look, as long as we're talking about the internal covenant of grace, not the external one, which I certainly am, am agreement. Uh, I, I would differ from Klein on that. I would differ from Horton, certainly, in that I don't see uh, a legitimate external covenant of grace uh, expression in uh, follow through to the new covenant, um, but but you know we would agree in saying that you know in as in as much as um, the old the Old Testament saint would be saved, it would be through his participation in the internal covenant of grace, not the external anyway. Um, and so he wants to affirm that he's willing to, even to use the word administer um, the administration of the covenant of grace, which he thinks you know, which he has in mind as the new covenant, um, is, is uh, you know, happening in the Old Testament. So, amen. We're even agreeing at that level with that language. Um, so what are we actually different on? Well, maybe there is a little bit of a difference with regard to um, what, we're, what we see as the, the actual means of administration. So the blood of goats and bulls and the typology and all that. But, I mean, fundamentally, we're, we're in agreement there, I think, in that we're seeing, um, you know, ultimately, uh, blood of goats and bulls just means nothing at all um, if, if it's not for its substance, which is Christ, which is the whole point. Um, so we're essentially, you know, I think, I think just me being Baptist and Kleinian makes, you know, my position that much closer to where someone like who is just Kleinian might disagree with with Brandon. And so I think that's worth saying as well. And I hope he, if he is listening or if he does listen to this, I hope he understands and appreciates that point as well. We, You know, I would disagree with Chris Kahi, for example. I would disagree with Lee Irons. I would disagree with, um, you know, most Kleinians are on their Presbyterian sort of 
covenant of grace stuff. Uh, I, I would hope that that goes without saying, you know, that's kind of why I'm a Baptist. Um, but, you know, that does mean that I'm just that much closer to what Brandon's saying, yeah, even though we're using different language, uh, language at that point. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, what I appreciated about um, uh, Brandon as well is just his willingness to revise his post, you know, push back a few instances. And um, at every point, he was just totally willing to go ahead and, you know, change what, what what's um, admit his, you know, where he uh, he maybe wasn't um, entirely accurate and revise the post and mention it. So I really appreciated that super upfront and, um, you know, just made me want to engage with him more and, um yeah, just just really love that. Uh, I wish we could see more of that um, in general. Um, so you know, again, we're kind of down to so. Then, and then you know, it steers more into like I think this is more like Brandon's thing. You know, the subservient view is that Klein's view, and you know, you know, again, like I could totally go along with everything he's saying. Probably the subservient view is not exactly Klein's view. Klein might be trying to do something a little bit more uh, via media than than the subservient guys ever did. You know, I did, none of that really concerns me at the end of the day. It's just kind of like, I like what Klein's doing. And I think, I, you know, I think he's he's sort of, maybe Brandon doesn't, maybe I do. I think that's bottom line, <laughs> you know, everything that that's going to amount to. Um, one thing I did think to mention, though, is that um, he, uh, you know, I think when I was saying in the podcast that, um, well, Chris actually, I think, mentioned that, that um, the worst part of, Presbyterian covenant theology is represented in a kind of monocovenantalism. I think, I think Brandon took issue with that, and that he, you know, he's talking. He think he's thinking of monocovenantalism primarily in terms of its technical expression, uh, grace before the fall. You, know, you have one overarching covenant of grace even prior to the fall, and um, and that includes the Mosaic covenant, obviously, because it's all just one big covenant. I mean, you know, Chris and I hate that. That's the whole like you know, other strand of Reformed theology that leads to theonomy and, and all that stuff. But I suppose what Chris and I were saying, uh, and I think maybe Brandon didn't quite pick up on this, uh, is that um, just even when you start blending Mosaic covenant uh, with covenant of grace, that is basically by implication just, you know, the, the, the end point of monocovenantalism right there. That means that you're going to try and sh- see what's happening, you know, during the time of Israel and the Mosaic administration as something that really, you know, we should follow as those being under the same covenant of grace. And that's always where it goes. And that's, it gets all legalistic and crazy. So, you know, I would regard that as a form, you know, of minor covenantalism, if not even uh, in its full uh, technical expression. But, um, you know, in that sense, you do definitely have a lot of monocovenantalism going on in uh, Reformed theology, or at least at that level. Um, but, you know, as, as he says, you know, a lot of it is just plain old uh, majority um, John Ball, Westminster, standard standard covenant theology in many ways. He mentions that uh, I seem to kind of dismiss that as the worst part of the Reformed tradition. I do, except I think he misunderstood me as saying that it's a minority view. I I don't for a second think it's a minority view. Um, I realize it's the majority view, 100%. I just mean 
it's the worst. <laughs> so maybe, maybe you mistook, he mistook uh, me saying the worst part of the reform tradition for, for the minority uh, of the reform tradition. No, I, I lament that it is indeed the majority of the reformed pr- tradition. And, um, and so I totally agree with him there. Um, I just feel like it's the worst part and I don't really care about it, you know, because it's sort of, it's so very clearly kind of still entrenched in all that, all that uh, covenant theology that had not yet become very sensitive to the historic or biblical theological redemptive outworking of scripture. So like by the time you get to own, for example, uh, oh, wow, just head and shoulders above everyone else and, and you know, and, and and the Baptist guys were, you know, right there with him because, you know, Owen was bringing out the stuff that I think ultimately leads to a Baptist theology. But um, certainly Owen, you know, is is not in that camp. And and then, and then obviously as you move on from there, you've got like guys like Gerhardus Foss who come along and just just almost make it impossible for any current Reformed theologian in that in the vicinity of any Westminster kind of thinking to. Especially with the with the Norman Shepherd controversy, I mean, you just can't go down that road very easily again anymore. And and now, you know, the, now you have a majority of Westminster Presbyterianism that just it just isn't. You know, it's not the John Ball stuff anymore. It's it's more sensitive to uh, redemptive historical, um, you know, outworking. So that means that it's it, you really don't have that worst part of the historical you know, mainstream reformed theology coming through that much as it's still there, unfortunately, but it's not like it was. And so I think it's fair enough to say that it's wrong to um, categorize or or view the, the current view and as something that just automatically must flow out of that worst part of the reformed tradition. I don't think that necessarily um, is the case. So, um, again, I'm just aware, if, if, you know, if you haven't read that article, nothing that I'm saying right now will make sense. But you know what? It's my podcast, so whatever. I'm just rambling right now. Uh, go read it. Go read it. Sending traffic to, to um, Brandon's blog. Now, uh, I think maybe just one or two things to say, and then I'll wrap this up. Um, I, you know, I think, like I said, I, you know, I appreciate what he says about Klein. I know he doesn't really like what Klein has done. I just, I think that's, you know, that's just a matter of, it's kind of not necessary to, to the debate. Uh, on that point, I think perhaps another thing I really started to appreciate was that even, even if, um, you know, we don't want to talk about the administration of the covenant of grace in the Old Testament, and you know, 1689 Federalists might not want to do that. Uh, there's nothing necessarily. There's nothing necessary to the system of that federalism that would, um, you know, lead them to, you know, have to deny that there would have been a gracious covenant exegetically. You know, not not necessarily the new covenant, but just a, a gracious covenant. So they already admit this for, for example, the Noahic um, covenant of common grace. It's essentially it, it works by a, a unilateral gracious principle. Um, same, let's say for argument's sake, you, you know, um, you know, I know I realize we have differences um, on the Abrahamic covenant, but let's say for example, you know. I was right and Brandon was wrong. I mean, that's not going to fold the system of 1689 federalism, which I wasn't properly appreciating before. I think that's that's clearer to me now. That's helpful because it means that, you know, there's room for disagreement on that, on that point. 
And uh, we've boiled the other things down to really just such a pretty much a use of language. Um, it almost makes the whole debate feel a little bit moot, to be honest. Um, I think at some point, um, as Brandon says here, and I'll, I'll just quote him here, and he's one of his comments, if it just comes down to using or not using the term administration, but meaning the same thing, then I agree it's not a big difference. And then he says, however, Chris does not mean the same thing as me, so it is a bigger difference than just a choice of words. Chris does mean that circumcision, sacrifices, etc. were signed, seals, sacraments of the covenant of grace. Now, I think what I'm, what I'm hoping that uh, came through in our discussion is that while there might be true that Chris is, you know, it, well, it is true that Chris is, is definitely 100% more Kleinian than, than me in that sense, um, you know, in that he's not a Baptist, um, I, I, I'd hope by what we've said um, in, in the rest of the, that dialogue that it, I, I'd hope that it became clear that by me not going along with, with what Chris is saying or what Klein is saying at every point there, it does just come down to using the term or not using the term. And it's kind of that, you know, I think, um, uh, let's see if I can find it here. Oh, yes, here we go. So talking about the term administrate or uh, you know, has the covenant of grace been administered in the Old Testament? He says the term has numerous connotations, uh, not all of which I affirm. It is closely associated by most people with the idea that various elements of the Old Covenant, circumcision, sacrifice, etc., were signed, sealed sacraments of the covenant of grace. Um, I reject that idea. Um, either way, because because I asked him, like, why why do you even want to use the covenant of grace at or, or just even use the expression, the covenant of grace. If, if essentially you don't need it, why do you even, it seems confusing, right? So he's responding to that. It says, either way, we'll have to qualify and explain ourselves. Either we use the language and explain what we don't mean, or we don't use the language and explain what we do mean. I prefer the latter. So he prefers not to use the language of administer um, and explain what he means. This is essentially what 1689 federalism is all about. Um, and you know what? I can agree with that. And I agree. And like I said, um, yep, I prefer to use the language, uh, the covenant of grace administered in the Old Testament, and um, explain what I don't mean. I don't mean the Presbyterian view. That. <laughs> so, I mean, you, what I'm trying to do here is show you that really at the end of the day, um, it's just so, so close. So, I, you know, I don't know. Like, I'm almost, uh, I think I said in a previous episode, I, what I might just do from now on, I'm going to try this. Maybe maybe this would be a good thing to have Brand back on for. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll try and hit him up about this in case he's not listening to this. He probably, he might, you know, he might well not be. Um, but, you know, I'm just going to say I'm a 1689 Federalist and see what happens. <laughs> like, will, will I even get any pushback at the end of the day? Because it, I feel like I could just just agree uh, pretty much. And okay, if me, hold, I, do, I do have the Galatians um, 3 stickler that I mentioned on a previous um, podcast, but I now realize, well, at least this is what I'm thinking right now. I might be wrong about this. So this would be good if, if Brandon wanted to clear this up for me or anyone, uh, one of the other guys. But I think that I could still disagree or there was, there'd was still be some room for disagreement as to exactly what was going on with the Abrahamic uh, covenant. Was, it, was, it a, was the principle of inheritance by grace or by works? 
we're all essentially agreeing that there's a unique exegetical covenant going on there. No one's denying that. So really what we're down to is, is you know, should we use the word administer to talk about the way the new covenant gets applied to, to Abraham and his offspring who believe? Uh, or should we just say the promise was revealed and they were saved? I mean, that's literally what I think it comes down to. Um, and even on the word administer, every I've spoken to Brandon, who seems the most zealous on this issue, and you know, he's okay. He 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 is essentially okay, but prefers not to use that word um, because he would rather explain, you know, uh, what he means by not using it. Um, Sam Renian was exactly the same when I last spoke to him. He's like, listen, it's just I don't feel like it's most helpful. But the comeback to that is well you saying the covenant of grace is the new covenant is also not the most helpful thing. So, you know, I think Brandon hit it right on the head. Both of us have to explain. Uh, No one's getting away from that. So bottom line is, like, I don't know, I can't really even see a disagreement. Maybe there's something small on the sacrament thing, but actually that was just just kind of an example for me that kind of got out of control, I think. I think if if we really worked at it, my, my suspicions are that there might be a difference uh, in, in opinion with regard to sacramentalism or not, which is kind of a separate issue. You know, I wouldn't want to read it back into this uh, as a one-for-one correspondence. I think that would, that would be a little bit dangerous. But, but um, you know, even if there was that difference, I mean, like, you know, you, you can totally get Baptists and uh, sacramental and non-sacramental Baptists who hold to 1689 federalism. I think Brandon and Richard Barcelos and everyone else is a good good illustration of that. As far as I'm aware, Brand, uh, Barcelos wrote the book on uh, Baptist sacramentalism, and um, and uh, Brandon, he doesn't seem to like it. So whatever, there we go. They're both 1689 fed guys. That's got nothing to do with it. Uh, that's kind of my point. It sounds like we're all on the same page. I think this is exciting because... Because this it shows you the value of doing theology. I've never, and I'll say this like, I, you know, I love this point, and um, I say this again and again, but I have never, ever given myself to the task of thinking something through more carefully and ever coming away, come away uh, less unified with someone I disagreed with. I've always come away more unified. I mean, of course, sometimes, sometimes, uh, you know, there'll, there'll be an issue of heresy at play. And that's, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about intramural stuff here. And, um, uh, but, but even just with things like, uh, progressive dispensationalism or, or even dispensationalism or major, you know, theonomy or whatever it is, you go, you debate this stuff or charismatic theology, you debate this stuff, uh, spend a little time on it, and what happens is you start seeing exactly where you disagree, and you you know sometimes it's a lot smaller and a lot more concise than you thought it would be, and you know where where you tended to catastrophize the situation, you don't necessarily do that because you've thought it through. So I'm hoping I'm right. I'm hoping that there's a you know there's a sense in which there's, there's basic agreement. It sounds like I disagree on a few points but like we all do anyway. So that's irrelevant, you know. So I'm not really going to put that into the 1689 category anymore. Um, now let's put let's give that, that that's a working theory, right? That's a thought experiment. Uh, let's put that on on uh, on trial and see how we go with that. Uh, if I get hate mail, we know that that's, you know, I I did something wrong. <laughs> um uh, I might even get attacked by Scott Clark, you know, for, for some random reason. All right, time to say goodnight. Hey, it's 1689 Saturday. There's no point in any of this if you're not 
getting to church tomorrow, which is where your 1689 glory happens, man. I mean, it's all about church. It's all about Jesus. So don't turn this into an idolatry theological deal for yourself. Uh, you know, instead, just don't listen to this podcast. Instead, be reading the Bible. Prepare your heart for worship. All of these concerns flow out of worship, and they need to be done in such a way that gives glory uh, to the Savior and, um, and excites us to want to go and worship Him tomorrow with His people. We all disagree with everyone all the time, uh, but Christ alone is Lord of the conscience, and, um, and, and that, that's really, it shows, um, you know, we're taking Jesus seriously and we glorify Him, and yet we take Him seriously enough to love one another as well. So there we go, a little bit of a thought for uh, tomorrow as well. Uh, bless you guys, have a great day. Mm-hmm.